Thank you, Paul and uh, choir, and thank you, Murray. Uh, if you have your Bibles, look back at Acts chapter 9. This is one of three testimonies that we have of Paul's conversion to Christianity, and I hope you have a story of when you met the Lord. And you can not only tell that story, but you can share it with other generations that come after you. For so many times, I sit down with a family when we're going over what we're going to do for the funeral. And I will ask them, when was your mother? Or when was your dad? Or when was your sister? Or when your brother? When did they come to know Christ as their Savior? And they will look at me and they will say, we don't know. So let me encourage you, the best thing you can pass down to another generation is not money, because they'll just spend it and sell it somewhere else. And, but the best thing you can share with your next generation is when you came to know Christ as your Savior. And Paul does that three times, or at least Luke records that three times. It meant so much to Luke that he kept writing it and writing it and telling it in different situations and different circumstances of life. Now, uh, how many of you are, are a husband or married? Would you raise your hand if you're a husband today? Would you do that? And you don't have to be ashamed of that, and I'm not going to call you to do anything, but Valentine's Day is coming up. Okay, let me just drop that out there and if you love your wife, do something for her. Now, I'll just leave it like that and let you deal with whatever uh, you need to do. And next week, I'm going to preach on love. But I want to talk about today um, what happens when God changes lives. And he does a great thing and changes life. And some of the most beautiful testimonies come from Scripture of how God made a difference in somebody's life. And I hope he's made a difference in your life. One of my favorite places or favorite places for Susan and I to go, uh, well, the last duty station was in Fort Lee, Virginia, and we'd go to Williamsburg. And I love Williamsburg. I love to go to Raleigh Tavern, and Raleigh Tavern, they have these gingerbread cookies, and, and they have a hot apple cider, and Raleigh Tavern, and going down the streets of Williamsburg is always an exciting thing to me. Uh, being in that place, because it reminds me of our patriarchs and those who had gone before us and uh, were so much a part of making our nation what it is today. And one of those is Thomas Jefferson, and I think the world of Thomas Jefferson went to his house in Monticello, and it was a beautiful place. Um, he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He and John Adams had it together, but John Adams was not that good a writer. Thomas Jefferson was, and so the majority of what we have as the Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson. But Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He had been to uh, Europe and especially France and being a part of that. And deism was kind of the religious uh, in thing to do in that day. And what deists believed that God was this great clockmaker who wound up the world, let it go in a way, and then he backed away. And he didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And as a deist, uh, Thomas Jefferson rewrote his Bible. And in rewriting his Bible, he took out all the miracles. And then he took as the last part of his Bible that Jesus was in the tomb. So all he had was a dead Jesus. And if all we have is a dead Jesus then we're in bad shape. Can I have an amen from that? Can you do that? 
But I picked up that Bible when I was in the, this antique store and I looked at it and went through it and I put it right back because I don't want a Bible with a dead Jesus. I need something to hold on to and hang on to in life as we deal with people and sometimes people are very difficult to deal with. But the Bible is a history of God taking difficult people and doing great things with difficult people. So if you're here today with a difficult person, You're welcome in this church. <laughs> and you might even be a difficult. They, they hang out at work. They, they hang out uh, different places. They hang out. And, and especially during uh, Christmas time, they show up in family gatherings. And uh, they're difficult people. But Paul was a difficult person. And what he was trying to prove was the fact that Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave. He couldn't fathom what was the idea of a crucified Messiah. That didn't make any difference. That didn't sit well with him. And so he fought against the idea of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And he fought against that very hard and tried to put it down. The greatest movement this world has ever seen is the movement of Christianity and how against all odds, it started not in a palace, but it started in a manger. And how it's been changing this world. And what has been changing this world is not the fact we have a dead Jesus, but we have a living Savior. And uh, there's, a, there's a song that I love that says, Jesus lives. He lives within my heart. And that's why he's still alive and he's living within our hearts. And there are people that have testimonies can tell you of how they came out and, and how God was, they were over here and God moved them over here and it's made a difference in their lives. And I've seen it happen time and time again. We have a living Savior. Acts chapter 9 really begins in uh, chapter 7, if you went there in chapter 7, with a guy named Stephen. Stephen was a deacon and he was elected deacon. And Stephen got on his heart to go to a synagogue. And he went to this synagogue of the free men. And he went to Bible study in this synagogue in free men. And they didn't like what he was saying. And so they confronted him, took him to the Sanhedrin. And there they put him on trial. Scripture records he has a face of an angel. As they came at him, he had the face of an angel. And then things got out of hand, kind of like the five policemen that got out of hand in Memphis. And so they grabbed Stephen under the staging of a guy named Saul as a wolf. God's going to change him into a sheep. But they threw Stephen in the pit, and when they threw Stephen in the pit, then they pelted him with all these rocks, and, and there are plenty of rocks in Israel. All of a sudden, he looks up, and he sees Jesus. And Jesus is standing. He's at the right hand of God standing. And when he said that, they just, wow. They just went crazy. Now, you call that... Uh, um, personal eschatology. That is one of these days the Lord's coming back 
for his church. But until that time, he comes back individually for you and for me. When you and I, who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, have made that last breath, there's a God who is standing to receive us and to take us home. And many of you have had that kind of experience with your loved one. And we have that assurance of the fact that there's hope in Jesus because we have a living Savior and he stands to receive us when you and I take that last breath. But boy, that just just got on Paul. He couldn't get it out of his head. Have you ever got something that was in your head? Uh, I've had some songs that kind of got in my head. One of those songs is, Who, who let the dogs out? Who? It's hard to put it out. You just, you know, when you get in church and you're humming, who, who let the dogs out? That is not in the Baptist hymn, by the way. But he can't get it out of his head. So he fights against it. Now, difficult people, uh, that kind of way, they kind of fight against the Lord. And they fight against what God has given to them. They will never admit that they're wrong. They will never admit that they're wrong. Um, They say that you're wrong and I'm right forever. And even when they realize that they're wrong, they will not admit that they're wrong. I read about a lady who, who was kind of afraid about going to the city to shop so she, uh, her husband taught her how to use a pistol, and she carried that pistol into a garage, shopping place that she was going to the city, and she went to this a parking garage, and she came back with all of her packages and things that were there, and um, so when she did, she got to a car, and there were four dudes in her car, and they were just kind of grooving in her car, they were boom, 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 boom. They were just kind of grooving in that car. And so she said, uh, would you get out of my car? And they didn't even slow down. Boom, 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 boom. And so she said, would you please get out of my car? And they just kind of boom, 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 boom. So finally she pulled out a pistol and cocked it and said, I said, get out of my car. And all of a sudden four doors came open and boom, those guys went everywhere. And so she picked up a package, got in the car, and realized that she was in the wrong car. Amen. <laughs> now, she tried to catch up with those guys <laughs> and tell them she was sorry. But they said, that's this crazy lady with the pistol. Keep running, man, keep running. Difficult people have that idea. Uh, They kind of know they're wrong, but they kind of keep going. And that's what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to wipe all this out. And what do you do with uh, difficult people? Um, Do you uh, come at them? Do you attack them? It would be the worst conversation you've ever had. Um. Do you ignore them? And a lot of times that's what we do. We just ignore those kind of difficult people. 
Or do you give up on them and say, you know, that's just who they are. And that's just the way they are. But there's another option. Because we have a living Savior. He stays with us even when we have those difficult people in our lives. Even when we're at our worst, he still stays with us. I don't know where I would be if somewhere down the line, Jesus' mercy didn't rescue me. And that's what he did to Paul. Paul's on his way to Damascus, and as he's on his way to Damascus, road, the Christian movement in Jerusalem had kind of grown. So he goes to Damascus, and in Damascus, uh, before he gets to Damascus, God appeared to him on the road. And when God appeared, Christ appeared, the living Christ appeared unto him, and he saw this light. And when he saw the light, it was a voice in the light, and the light said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because anytime you persecute the church, you're persecuting Christ. And they took him into a city, and there was this broken man. Broken like he had never been before. He found out that he was so wrong when he thought he was so right. And that's a road so many have taken. He's in a dark place, a very dark place. And the best thing is just leave him alone. But Christ didn't leave him alone. If you have your Bibles, would you look at verse 10? There was a man in Damascus who was with the Damascus First Baptist Church of Damascus. And God came to him. Jesus came to him in a vision. He was having his quiet time because when you know somebody is coming after you, you have a quiet time. And on that quiet time, he said, Ananias, and he said, Lord, here I am. It's one thing to say, here I am in the abstract, but it's another thing to say, here I am in the concrete. And I remember a guy telling me he loved kids, and, and he had just concreted his driveway, and the kids were riding up down his concrete, and he just let them have it and asked him, why are you so mean to those kids? And he says, I love them in the abstract, but not in the... Are you with me? Are you there? Or did that just kind of go over your head somewhere? <laughs> yes, Lord. I want you to work in the nursery. Oh, I don't know about that. I want you to go see the man down the street who is a difficult man, but he needs somebody to give him guidance. And a knife, I want you to go see a man named Saul. He's broken and he needs some kind of guidance somewhere down the line. And so Ananias begins to inform God about who this man Saul was. How often we do that in our prayers? Lord, let me tell you why I can't do this. I can't do this. That's the meanest group of folks I've ever met in my life. I can't do this. And you know what God said? Go. Go. I did an animal blessing uh, one time in Pharaoh. Um, one time did I do that animal blessing. 
and it was myself, a, a, a Catholic priest and a black preacher, Latin lady preacher. And they would bring the, and I did it because our community, that's a big thing, kind of thing in our community. And, and, you know, I don't care about blessing the animals, but that's, I did it for the community. So they brought snakes in there. I mean, man, um, I saw a lot of snakes when I was in Vietnam. I never want to see a snake. I believe hell's a place where they're full of snakes. So I'm, mm. but there was this Doberman pincher, this guy, he wanted me to bless his Doberman. And uh, so uh, this is the meanest looking dog I'd ever seen. So I got behind a tree and reached around and put my hand on top of this Doberman. And I said, God bless him. Don't let him bite me. Please don't let him bite me. Uh, but the next year, I handed it to my staff. You do those blessings. I'm not going to do them anymore. That's not the way Paul went in. Uh, Ananias went in. It says that he went in and he put his hands on him. Put his hands on him. He said, you're my brother. This was a man that probably had him on his list to come and drag away to Jerusalem. You're my brother. And so he put his hands on him and said, you receive the Holy Spirit. And that had to have been an awesome moment. Not only an awesome moment for Paul, um, for Paul to receive the Holy Spirit, but it had to have been an awesome moment for Ananias. First person I ever led to the Lord was in a jail cell. I wasn't in a jail. He was in a jail. And so I had this track. I just, the Lord just said, you know, go in, in, in the jail and start uh, sharing with people about the Lord. So I shared with this guy reading this track. I didn't know what else to do. And uh, he was just kind of a rough character, he, him and me in the jail. And so uh, finally I got to the point where it said in the track, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? And uh, I didn't know what else to do. And he said, yes, I would. I thought, whoa, what do I do next? So I read that track and said, you pray to receive Christ. And all of a sudden in that jail cell, this man uh, bowed his head and said, my life has been so messed up that I'm at the point of my need. I need to have Christ in my life. And he prayed a prayer was just, you know, it wasn't great prayer or anything. He said, Lord, just save me. And all of a sudden, it was a glorious moment as I saw God do something in a man's life. Now, let me tell you what his name was. His name was Jack Daniels. <laughs> now, if you recognize that name, you need to repent anyway. Amen. <laughs> I led Jack Daniels to the Lord. I thought, wait, man, I'm ready for the Lord to take me home. That was an awesome moment in that jail cell for me. It had to have been an awesome moment in that house with Ananias as he shared Christ with somebody who desperately needed. Ananias kind of drops out of the picture. You won't read about Ananias anymore. But he left behind a man who became become the greatest missionary this world has ever seen. 
And anytime somebody that Paul led to the Lord, there was always this input of what Ananias had done in his life. But this is what Ananias did. He listened. And then he obeyed. I think the greatest sin in our churches is that we know what God wants us to do. But we come up with an excuse as to why it couldn't be done. And we back away from opportunities that God has for us. Now, I had the privilege of growing up on uh, 3rd Avenue. I, that was a great place to grow up on. Um, next door to me was my neighbor, Mr. Mason. Um, there was a lot of uh, members of the Jewish church, or Jewish church, that's a, a redundant thing, but uh, the Jewish congregation that went to our church. Mose Leenthal was down the street. Any of you remember Mose Leenthal? You ever remember that? You're old people if you remember Mose Leenthal. He always had a suit for you. Amen. It was just a fit. Uh, Ms. Lehman lived right, Ms. Schwartz close to me. Ronnie Lee lived right across the street from me. Seymour Cone lived down the street. But it was a good neighborhood to grow in. My next door neighbor was Mr. Mason. Mr. Mason had a place called Selma Arms. And uh, it's right across from Benderskis, used to be. And uh, Mr. Mason had a Bowie knife. And I'd been watching Walt Disney on television and Walt Disney had these stories about Davy Crockett and King of the Wild Frontier. And Jim Bowie was there, and he had this Bowie knife. And I was about seven years old, and so Miss Schwartz and, uh, let me mow her grass, and I'd mow her grass, and she'd pay me. Um, and so I was saving my money up to go to buy that Bowie knife. And so I finally got enough money, went down to see Mr. Mason, and he was there at his store. And said, I said, Mr. Mason, I want that Bowie knife. He said, yes, sir, you got the money for it? And I said, yes, sir. He said, um, then he asked, and I wish he hadn't asked that. Does your daddy know that you're buying it? You know, um, when you lie, you can just try to get away, but it just kind of sticks with you. And I said, yes, sir. I wish I hadn't said that. At that moment, I became a difficult person. I kept hiding things and all that kind of thing. So I went home and hid it under my bed. And I heard the phone ring. You remember when phones used to ring? <laughs> we were on a party line. Anyway. Uh, so I heard my mama say, is that right? <laughs> well, wait till his daddy gets home. Now, I didn't anticipate my dad coming home with a lot of hilarity or anything like that. So my daddy came home and he said, tell me if that's true. I said, yes, sir. He said, so he spanked me. You know, when he spanked me, he did that. He applied pressure to my seed of understanding. That's what you call that. And then he added this. He said, son, I want you to go next door to Mr. Mason and apologize. Daddy spanked me again. I don't want to go next door to Mr. Mason. But I walked over there in fear and trepidation, hoping he wasn't at home. You know, I 
we visit houses and we hope they're not there so we can leave something beside them. And Mr. Mason, he was having his dinner. And I walked over there beside him and I said, I was seven years old. I said, Mr. Mason, I told you a lie. And I'm sorry. I didn't know what was going to happen next, but Mr. Mason put his arm around me and he said, you know you did wrong. And I said, yes, sir. Don't you ever do that again? I said, yes, sir. And then he pulled me a little bit closer to him and he said, I forgive you. And I walked out of that house with one of the greatest gifts you and I can ever receive is a gift of forgiveness. Paul received something he needed somebody to help him to find. There's a whole city out here and people that you and I come in contact with that need to find that gift of forgiveness. Uh, when I was being considered for Elkdale Baptist Church, Mr. Mason said, I wouldn't hire him if I was you. He lied. No, I didn't. <laughs> he didn't do that. Once he forgave me, it was gone. Now, would you bow your heads just for just a moment and let's just kind of get with the Lord and think about it. Maybe God has a difficult person in your life. Maybe the deepest need of that difficult person is to come to know the forgiveness that only God can give through the resurrected Christ. But you may be here having to deal. You may be the difficult person. But there may be somebody that you need to see. One of the hardest things I ever did was to ask my dad, did he know Christ as his Savior? That was so hard for me, so awkward. But I have the assurance that my dad's in heaven today because he received Christ as his Savior. Now, who's somebody in your area that's a difficult person, an awkward person for you to deal with? Just for a moment, let the resurrected Christ kind of touch your heart. And bring to mind somebody that needs for you to go to see them. Father, we thank you for a God who is alive in Jesus Christ. We thank you for a God who wants to offer forgiveness to people, even like me. And where they would be or where I would be without the grace of God rescuing me. They need to hear about the grace of God. May this church be a place that sees God do in difficult people's lives what God has done in their life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.